I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents... For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Andrew Monk. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Turo. And in 2012, when he joined the company, there were somewhere around 54,000 users across just serving two cities. And now they're operating in over 10,000 cities in over 56 countries. Andrew was promoted to CMO at just 29 years old in 2017. And today, Turo is the largest global peer-to-peer car sharing marketplace with over 7 million users. Since he joined, revenue has grown over 250 times. On the show today, we talk about Turo, his path to becoming CMO, how he thinks about the role and the job today. We talk about a number of things that Turo has recently launched from their Open Doors brand campaign to how they're growing their global footprint and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrew Monk. Andrew, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I heard this like kind of funny story. I don't know. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but I hear that your family had some serious questions about this company when you were starting to work for Turo in the early days. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What were they concerned about? 
Yeah, you know, that was a that was a fun conversation that happened uh, now over over 10 years ago. It's been a pretty remarkable journey, actually, just building peer-to-peer car sharing and sort of going on this journey from people asking, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody want to give the keys to their car to a stranger? To today, you know, when you tell people about, about Turo and, and peer-to-peer car sharing, they kind of go, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it all started, at least for me, in 2012 when I left, I had a, a sort of a stereotypical blue chip job at a, at a management consulting firm, very steady, you know, something that I was a job that I was very proud to have. And I decided to take this risk, this this leap of faith to join join Turo. And I still remember the conversation that I had with uh, with some of my family members explaining the concept to them. It was kind of like Airbnb for cars. And they just thought I was absolutely crazy. They were like, why would anybody do this? Why would I ever give the keys to my car to, to a stranger? And I remember, you know, one of my family members even said, well, you know, it's not like Airbnb. I would, I would be much more likely to share my room on Airbnb. And I thought that was absolutely crazy. You would rather have a stranger <laughs> live with you in your right. apartment than give them the keys to your car. Like that sounds absolutely insane to me. But, you know, I, I think it just goes to show how different and how, how different a paradigm peer-to-peer car sharing was at the time. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it, 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 it does sound more bizarre now that you say it to, <laughs> to, to yeah. share a room with somebody than to share your car. Um, yeah. I never thought yeah. about it or put it in that context before. So totally, yeah. totally. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's one of the questions, especially in the, in the earlier days of the business when Airbnb, I think was the first most popular sharing economy company. Mm-hmm. And then Uber and Lyft came along and they were very popular. And I think Turo became a lot more popular in the last couple of years, but there was a period there where Turo was not super well known either, and folks would always ask us like, "Why, you know, what's going on with Turo? You why aren't you Airbnb and Uber and Lyft size?" And I would always kind of go back and explain to them, "Well, with Airbnb, this idea of sharing your vacation home had been mm-hmm. around for a while. There was couch surfing. Yeah. Um, I think Verbo had been around for a while. Uber and Lyft, this idea of livery drivers and and, and personal drivers. Again, it kind of had been around for a while." But this idea of somebody starting a small car sharing business or somebody, like I said, giving the keys to your car to a stranger, like that was very, very new. And so right. that was a lot of a lot of what we've been doing over the last 10 years is is just making this quote unquote weird thing be normal and accepted and and doing it through telling host stories and, and building up social proof. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And and to your point, like uh yeah, vacation rentals have been around for I mean, as long as I've been around living, which is mm-hmm. a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, totally. And so there was like that base of behavior to kind of build from. It makes sense that you had to kind of like seed the market, if you will, in, in terms of this is possible and here are the benefits of it. Yeah. Who, so you, Turo, obviously it's a peer-to-peer car sharing service, but can you describe a little bit more about like who you're serving and like how to think about the service and, and maybe contextualize like what kind of cars is on, are on there or automobiles, I should say? Yeah, sure. So, so the business was founded in 2010. So we've been around for, uh, I guess it's been 13, 13 years now, <laughs> 13 <laughs> years that flew by over overnight. And the, uh, the mission of the company is to put the world's 1.5 billion cars to better use. And really the, the founding insight behind the company is this idea that cars are a massive waste of resources. There mm-hmm. are in the US 290 million registered passenger vehicles. And there's only 230 million licensed drivers. So there's actually more cars out there than there are people who can drive them. And for anybody who, who owns a car, you know that on average, the car is sitting idle in your garage or in a parking spot. 
23 hours out of 24 hours of the day. And most importantly, unlike a home, it's not an appreciating asset. It's something that is depreciated. So it's losing value. So we have too many of them. They're really expensive and losing value and we barely use them. <laughs> that was kind of a, we were like, there's a trifecta of problems that we're, we're trying to solve. So when we founded the business and, and started to build this marketplace, we realized for guests, so for the folks who are actually booking the car, this marketplace unlocks this extraordinary opportunity for people to get a really wide selection of cars. With traditional rental car, you're getting the economy or the compact or the standard. And typically it's the same cars that sort of the, the boring commoditized cars. If you download the Turo app or you go to the Turo website and you just start browsing the vehicles, you can see immediately we have everything from your Tesla Model 3 to your classic Cadillac Eldorado to everything in between. And you just have this, this extraordinary selection of cars you can choose from and you know exactly what you're going to get. So right. guests really love the experience for that reason. And then on the other side of the marketplace, you know, this is really where we're attacking the problem of putting the world's 1.5 billion cars to better use. Our hosts, the folks who are sharing the cars, they have this incredible opportunity to build a small business and generate real income that can either be supplementary income with their, with their jobs or some people quit their job and they, and they do this full time. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a win, 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 I like to say. Yeah, no. And, and just the, you know, maximizing the resources that are already there. I'd never heard those stats before that there's more cars than there are drivers, but it makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as we think about like how you, you mentioned starting out in management consulting and then coming to Turo what's been your pathway to the chief marketing officer job? Well, I never thought I would be in marketing. I'll, let me start with that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I never, never thought I'd be in marketing because growing up, I wouldn't say I was particularly creative or particularly found myself to be a good storyteller. So you're like, why, why would this guy ever think he would do marketing? So just to go way back, I actually studied computer science when I was in college. I studied CS at UC Berkeley, You know, really, really good CS program. And at the time, I was really more of a, a, of a left brain guy, I would say, more focused on math and analytics and, and all, that, all that stuff. And so when I joined Turo back in 2012, many people will remember at that time, that was sort of really the height of the popularization of digital marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, we were sort of in that transition from sort of the quote unquote mad men days or the mad men and mad women days to the, to the math men or the math women days and the coining of the term growth hacking, yeah. where we went from the traditional marketing adage of half of our dollars are working, we don't know which half, to track every track the ROI of every dollar that you spend. So it was really sort of the popularization of like kind of analytics and math and marketing. And so that was kind of my entryway into marketing at the time, which I found really exciting. And that was really cool because marketing went from this sort of this space where you didn't really know what the impact was of what you're doing to something that became very experimentation-based and very kind of like hypothesis driven and, and testing out numbers and, and, and getting an answer one way or the other. Um, so that was, that was a great time. But of course, as the company continued to grow, and obviously as the industry continued to evolve, the community grew, marketing just became a lot more holistic than performance marketing. Mm -hmm. And we had amazing creative, creative people on the team who I learned from, amazing storytellers, amazing copywriters, designers, communications experts. And so now we have a, a wonderful team of 30 marketers, who are sort of the best of both worlds of left brain and right brain, and and I've, I've been on this journey with them. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been a great personal growth growth journey for myself as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, if I'm if I'm doing my math right, you not only you made this leap to this 
fast growth company. You're doing it at a young age. You became CMO, I think, before 30, which is young for a CMO. Given that, like, how do you think about the role of CMO today? Because you grew up in a very different time than most of the people that I've interviewed in the last few years. Uh, It's a great question. I'll preface my answer by saying that I think my answer now will probably be different than what my answer will be in five years (laughs) (laughs) and different than what it was five five years ago. I mean, it's just, it's constantly changing, you know, what, what a CMO does and even very different from one company to the next. But I'll give you my best answer as it, as it relates to my personal experience at Turo. I think that when most people think of CMOs, they think of the flashy advertising. You know, we just had the Super Bowl. They think of the Super Bowl commercials and the big brand stunts. And all of that stuff is incredibly important. But being a CMO today is way more than just advertising. Uh, And it's way more than just performance marketing. It really gets to the core of what's important for a business, which is solving a problem for a customer and strengthening the company's ability to solve that problem for a customer. So to give you an example of how we do that at Turo, we have a team here called Host Success, which also is in my department. We have 70 amazing people on our host success team. And the problem that they're solving was that in the early days of building this marketplace, we had a very, very difficult time growing supply. Mm. We'd spend tons of money on advertising, uh, digital advertising, offline advertising, trying to get people to list their cars on Turo and to become a host. And it just didn't work. It was very, Mm. very inefficient. And as we studied this problem more and more, we diagnosed that we we had a leaky bucket problem. We were generating a lot of interest with advertising, but then they would try it out and then they'd have mixed experiences and then they would just churn. So as much advertising as I wanted to do and as creative as we wanted to be with the advertising, it just wasn't working. So we invented this idea uh, a few years ago of creating this host success team of working directly with our hosts. And at a time, we had a handful of people and now we have over 70, as I mentioned, and it's one of the fastest growing teams at Turo. And all they do is they partner with hosts onboard them and make sure they're successful. Hmm. And now, actually, we spend very, very little on advertising. It's really just the core engine that's working. As hosts are becoming more successful, they tell their friends, they tell their neighbors, they sign up as hosts. As our hosts are more successful, they maybe add a second car or a third car or a fourth car on the platform. And that is the growth engine for us on the supply side. So it isn't just advertising. It really was about strengthening the core value proposition. And I think that's what a lot of people overlook. Like The CMO is more than just about getting the word out. It's about helping the, the customers solve a real problem. Right. No, it makes sense. And I love that example too, because not only were you trying to help them solve their problem, but it attaches directly to the growth driver of the business, right? If you, exactly. you don't have supply, um, you're not going to make the revenue or the demand happen. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And it's a very, in your market, which is a market... <laughs> place in it in and of itself you've got to match your supply and your demand as well so yeah and i I think it it goes to we spend a lot of time as marketers thinking about the very top of the funnel and and driving Mm -hmm. awareness but if you're driving it into a leaky bucket you know an experience that doesn't work (laughs) you're really just wasting money so you have to think about it more holistically you have to think about the whole funnel and think about ways that you can impact not only filling the very top of it but also getting people through it and and making sure they they have a good experience. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah. No, I mean, the more you think you describe this, I mean, You've probably been, given your background of computer science, heard the term systems thinking or systems approach. You're really architecting a marketing system, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, if you will, that's mapped to the business system in terms of how the business runs, the engine of the business itself, which is cool. Yeah, totally. I think it's, it all goes back to kind of holistic thinking. We can't have siloed thinking and just think about solving one small part of, of the problem, we, we really have to think about ultimately what is important, which is we're providing value to the world by solving a problem for a customer. And all of us need to contribute to, to that in whatever way we can and, and strengthen it however we can. All right, cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about marketing and, and maybe the, the external facing side of it in terms of what we as consumers get to see. You've recently launched the Open Doors brand campaign Tell me a little bit more about the campaign and how it came about. Yeah, so back in um, late 2021, we unveiled our new brand positioning, which was Turo being a brand for the driven and our tagline being find your drive. So we unveiled that in 2021. And so going into 2022, we were super invigorated by the potential of, of where we could take our brand and, and build on this platform of Turo being a brand for the driven. And the reason why we were so excited about it was that we felt like Find Your Drive just resonated with so many people. Of course, there's the, the functional, there's sort of the double meaning of Find Your Drive. There's the functional benefit of find your drive, find your car, find the car, you know, the perfect car for, for your journey, but also more of the emotional interpretation of it, which is finding your passion and finding your ambition and being a brand that can speak to everybody's innate drive to reach for more, to do better in their lives, and to kind of move beyond the status quo. So it became this really, really powerful rallying cry that united our entire community, our hosts, our guests, and even our employees. We, we like to affectionately call our employees tourists. And so this became really, really powerful for, for all of our departments and all of our community. So then came the birth, building on this of Open Doors, our new brand campaign that launched in late 2022 that we'll be running uh, throughout the course of this year. And there's all this talk about the metaverse or the multiverse and people escaping to find new dimensions of yourself. And we wanted to flip that on its head. And we said, well, you don't need the metaverse for that. You actually just need to open some new doors. <laughs> um, and so we, we uh, had open doors. It's, it's all about opening the door to extraordinary. It's a 360 multi-channel campaign. It sort of depicts the car door as a portal to a different world. One where you can kind of be your best self. You can showcase whatever vibe you want to showcase. You can be your boldest. You can be your most expressive self. And we really dialed up the magic because we wanted people to dream about you know, what opening the door to Extraordinary could be. So in our, in our um, TV and streaming campaign, we utilized Unreal Engine. So technology that a lot of people are probably familiar with. It's used in a bunch of productions like Westworld and The Mandalorian. In our out-of-home and our billboard campaigns, we have these amazing 
images of, of the models opening the car door and you're getting transported to a whole nother world inside of the car. And of sure. course, in, in today's day and age with how popular influencers are, we work with kind of the best and brightest influencers on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and they had their own take on open doors. And it was, you can imagine, we got some really creative stuff. <laughs> <laughs> People are really good at doing special effects on, on Instagram and TikTok these days. So they, they had really creative takes on it. So we're really, really proud of this campaign. I think it, it positions us as totally just like something you've never seen in the car sharing and car rental space where mm-hmm. everything is very functional, you know, it's very focused on price, and, you know, the car is delivered to you and convenience. Like, you know, we really want people to dream. Um, and, right. and that's, that's, that's what our brand stands for. Well, and you're kind of hitting the, and trying to solve that emotional problem. Like, where do you want to go? Like, what experience do you want to have? Or what ambition do you want to fulfill? <laughs> and, sure. I, and I love the fact that it's so multidimensional, meaning where you're placing the campaign itself, you know, where it's TV streaming, or on the social channels as well. How big of a advantage, I guess, or, or necessity, I guess, maybe, was it to use the Unreal Engine to make this actually come to life? Well, we had our main character in the campaign fly, so <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty necessary. necessary. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty necessary. But yeah, I mean, we we just really wanted to dramatize it. And, and maybe even, I mean, not maybe, definitely even exaggerated because we just wanted to draw the, just this very stark contrast, this very stark juxtaposition to how people think about car sharing or car rental today. I mean, when you think about your traditional car rental, it's just, it's the last thing people <laughs> book on their trip. They sort of like dread going right. to get it. They dread standing in line. I mean, even the, the, the term car rental, I think conjures up like negative emotions, and <laughs> negative connotations. So we just wanted to go completely in the other direction. We kind of want to reinvent how people, people think about it. I mean, when you go on a, on a trip, a trip is fun, right? Vacation right. is fun. Why make yourself miserable? Like have fun, get a cool car, get an interesting car, have a great experience, connect with a, with a host, connect with somebody who is another human being who can make your trip better. We want to just change that, that whole paradigm. And so we took you know, things all the, all the way to, to the other end and hopefully it inspires people to have fun on their trip and, and do something a little different. I love it. Well, beyond you know, the marketing that you're doing, you're also, the business is growing, it's global footprint. What can you tell me about where your global expansion is taking you? Yeah, so we, um, we've done quite a bit. We launched in Canada in, in 2016, UK in 2018. Um, of course, with the pandemic and everything, we kind of, everything was on pause uh, for, for right. a little bit, but we've put the uh, foot back on the pedal just this last year. We acquired the leading French peer-to-peer car sharing marketplace called WeCar mm-hmm. uh, in summer of 2022. And then we just launched Australia a few months ago, actually, in, in November, late November of 2022. So. Travel is global. You know, travel, travel knows no borders. If you look at Airbnb, for example, 60% of their revenue comes from outside of the US. Mm. So, and, that, and it's growing more, more quickly. So we're not quite at that level yet, but that's our, that's our aspiration. And we see that as we launch each and every one of these countries, a lot of cross-border travel, a lot more kind of global interest in the brand. So it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a, a big focus for us you know, bringing peer-to-peer car sharing to as, as many countries as it makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, kudos on the on the growth and the and the expansion efforts. That's no small feat for sure as you do that. And and acquisitions can help, but they yeah, obviously like also integrating those is no joke some days too. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So 
Yeah, oh, it's been cool. it's been it's been fun actually. To we talked a little bit at the, at the top about how this idea of sharing your car with a stranger is crazy. Of course, mm-hmm. I was talking primarily from a U.S. perspective. Right. It's been interesting to see actually how it has translated into other markets and and sort of perceptions towards towards cars. Like I would say, mm-hmm. Australia it's still early, but we're I think maybe folks there are a bit more like entrepreneurial or they're willing to try new things, but I feel like we're getting less of that feedback there. So it's been, it's been interesting, actually, even going from one culture to the next, one country to the next, you know, seeing how, how receptive people are to the, to the business model. Yeah, this may get me in trouble because I do have a contingent of listeners in Australia, but I just think they're a little crazier. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. In, in a, a good, good way. way. Yeah. yeah, they're so much more fun to hang out with, too, yeah. uh, than, than the stiff Americans. That matches my personal experience as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm mean, curious, is it similar in Europe as well? Uh, or is it kind of hard to tell at this point, knowing that you're in France? It just seems my perspective as a U.S. person thinking about the European market, there may be just more appetite given environmental concerns, just a more social mindset maybe mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. So I'm curious if you, it's a little easier going there as well or not. I think the main, the main difference in Europe is that public transportation is so good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So the use cases for when you would want car sharing, peer-to-peer car sharing or or car rental, alternative, an alternative to car rental, they're just different than in the US where a lot of people use their car for pretty much everything. So yeah. we've sort of had to adapt, I think, our, our focus and our marketing messaging to understand a bit more like what are the use cases where you would want to get access to a car and trying to fit within those. But in terms of, I would say, like kind of accepted acceptance of the concept, receptiveness to sharing I don't think it's been a problem there, actually. It's, we've, we've sort of been welcomed with open arms, arms in both uh, the UK and, and in France. No, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, uh, again, kudos on the success of expanding. Kind of another aside, as I've talked to a bunch of marketing leaders, many times they lead in areas outside of the core marketing function, like BEI or uh, sustainability or ESG type things or company culture for that matter. I'm curious, do you have passions that lie outside of marketing? And, and if you do, like what might you be doing in those areas? Yeah. Great question. I, um, as I've gotten older, <laughs> as uh, I think most people do as they, as they get older, you start to spend, I would say as much time looking forward as you do looking backward. So I spent, I've been spending a lot more time kind of looking backward, thinking retrospectively about who am I? You know, what is my existence in the world? Why am I the way I am? And in as as a part of that reflection, and I think a lot of people did this, frankly, during the pandemic when you were at home and yeah. there was <laughs> you had a lot of time to kind of think about yourself. And one of the things I have developed more of a passion for over the years is just supporting leadership development in the Asian American community and and just kind of supporting the AAPI community and speaking up. Um, I'm I'm Asian American. If if, uh, if you couldn't tell from, from my name, I've realized growing up, I've actually spent a lot of time, I wouldn't say being ashamed of being Asian, but just kind of hiding it and just wanting mm-hmm. to kind of fit in because I, you know, obviously I grew up here in America and I, I still remember when I was a little kid and my mom would pack me food for lunch and she would pack Chinese food uh, and I would bring it to school and kids would make fun of me because it smelled weird or it looked weird or whatever. And so I asked my mom to just pack me like American food instead. I think she started packing me chicken noodle soup in a thermos. Right. Um, and I ate that like every day for lunch. And 
I never really like thought much about that experience or experiences like that until I, I started to grow up a bit more. And I realized that there's actually this big part of me that I think is part of Asian culture and part of specifically for me, you know, I'm Chinese and Taiwanese culture where we're taught to avoid like bringing shame and, and just focus on your, keeping your head down, working hard, ignoring the noise, just fit in and just avoid confrontations altogether. And it's, uh, I think it's something that we, we need to accept that it's, it's kind of like it's part of our DNA and just like build more awareness of it and, you know, try to prop up the, uh, the AAPI community a bit more and, and motivating people to speak up and to, it's okay to like be proud of who you are. And it's okay to like have some confrontations in, in the name of sort of elevating everybody's, elevating everybody's awareness of kind of the Asian American experience. So it's uh, definitely something I've become more passionate about in, in recent years. And um, as you can tell, doing a lot of soul searching myself to kind of get, get comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. No. Well, thank you for sharing. I mean, it, it's, it's an experience that's foreign to me, obviously. <laughs> I'm a, a white male. I grew, in the, I grew up in the U.S., but I can totally uh, empathize with what you're saying and, and understand, at least at some level, like what you're talking about in terms of the, the drive to acculturate for lack of a better word and unfortunately hide elements of yourself that doesn't seem like one we should be doing that or have a culture that pushes people to do that in any respects but maybe support our differences even more and celebrate them so yeah glad you're I, on the, totally glad you're on that journey that's awesome yeah i think at the end of the day like we all just want to at a base level we all just want to belong and just yeah. be happy and feel comfortable in our own skin. And, and I think the vast majority of people, <laughs> if not even close to all people, support that. And right. I think the more that we can create this environment where people feel comfortable being themselves and we create awareness for what that means for everybody, you know, whatever your, your culture is or your heritage is, and I think that's it's good. It's a good thing for the world. Awesome. Well, we've just been talking a little bit about your background and, and, and kind of what makes you who you are. I have a question that I love asking everyone and maybe we've already talked about it or maybe you got another example, but the question is what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I think b building on what I was just talking about, kind of growing up Asian, Asian American and, and more recently kind of really embracing and being proud of my heritage. I think that has actually shaped quite a bit what I do professionally. And I would like to, to think uh, to a certain extent, even, even the Turo brand, marketing in many ways is really just the celebration of differences. We always talk about in marketing, highlighting unique value proposition. Well, what is a unique value proposition? It's kind of just the jargony way of saying what makes you uniquely different. <laughs> So <laughs> marketing is a celebration of, of differences. That's, that's how I see it. And that's how I've approached it. And I know that's how a lot of folks at Turo think about it. We have uh, a few brand values at Turo, but two of them are being expressive and being grounded. Uh, being expressive means celebrating the individual, celebrating uniqueness, and then grounded is being grounded in humanity, seeing the person first. And I think that that is in many ways a reflection of what my experience has been on, on this journey of kind of growing up as an Asian American and, and learning to embrace my, my own identity is celebrating individuality and, and being grounded in sort of our collective human experience. And I think that's a big part of what Turo as a brand is, is striving for. You know, we, we want people to seek better, to do more than just the status quo, to be our true self, to be accepted for it. And 
I think that it's um, you know it's certainly been a big part of my journey, and I think part of the the journey of Turo's brand as well. Well, if you were starting this journey all over again, what advice would you give that younger self, noting that you're already young to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> I would say taking the time to enjoy each moment and taking more time to think retrospectively. I, I'm sure a lot of people share this. I tend to be kind of a, a very achievement and goal-oriented person. Yeah. So I'm constantly looking at what's my checklist for today, for the month, for the year, for the decade, for life. And I'm constantly <laughs> thinking about checking off the next thing. And that's great, obviously. It allows you to accomplish many, many things that you set out to do. But it does sort of rob you of the enjoyment of the moment and the journey itself. So I would, that would be the advice I'd give, give to my younger self is just keep that mentality, keep that same energy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but take time to enjoy the moment and, and really live in it because really that's, you know, that's what, what life is all about. That's awesome. That's awesome. You had me at a uh, checklist for a year. And then when you got the decade, I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I might be exaggerating my uh, <laughs> no, checklist no. prowess a bit. <laughs> I no, uh, it, just, it just caught me funny. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think more of us could take more time to smell the roses, so to speak. But uh, is there a topic that either you're trying to learn more about as a marketer or you think other marketers should be trying to learn more about themselves? Yeah, I would say for me, it's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I kind of started in marketing more coming from more of the, the analytical and uh, kind of mm-hmm. the math side of things. So over the course of the last many years, I've just been working on becoming a better storyteller. And what I've realized is that the most difficult thing with telling a story is actually making a decision to simplify things. Mm-hmm. There are so many things we can talk about as marketers. We know our brands. We know our companies inside and out. There are so many problems that we feel like we solve very, very well. But that's not an interesting story. People don't want to hear everything. They want to hear about one thing, one problem that you're solving, one solution that you're offering, and what impact concisely you can make on their lives. So that's one thing I continue to work on is just becoming, becoming a better storyteller and, and making sure that it's as simple and easy to understand as possible. That's awesome. On a personal level, are there like brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, I would say one thing that has been very top of mind for me and my family. So my, my wife is, in, uh, is uh, OBGYN. Uh, she works mm-hmm. in high-risk pregnancies. And so as you can imagine, uh, we're, we're both very passionate about women's reproductive rights. And yeah. uh, last year was a tough year uh, with the overturning for the Roe v. Wade. That's obviously an understatement. And so we've been thinking about what else we can do you know, beyond her day-to-day of just uh, helping to advance the cause. And one cause that we've become particularly excited about is one that's been proposed by an OBGYN at UCF, UCSF. Her name is uh, Dr. Meg Autry. She's actually promoting a floating, basically reproductive health clinic <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico that would wow. offer contraception, point of care treatment, STI testing and treatment, as well as some surgery that could help serve people who can't afford to go elsewhere, where in their state, like in the state of Texas, for example, they don't have access to those, uh, to those rights. I remember right in the wake of the Roe v. Wade overturning, uh, my wife was telling me about a patient, so she works at UCLA, a patient who was flying from Texas because she uh, was pregnant with twins and 
one of the twins, basically there was a pregnancy complication where it was going to put the other twins risk at life and then mm-hmm. the mother's life at risk. And she had no other option. <laughs> Fortunately, she could fly right. to California to get treatment. But those are the types of things people don't think about these edge cases, like wherever you stand morality wise on abortion, like those are the types of conversations that people should be having with their doctors, their personal health decisions. And it should be taken circumstance by circumstance, not decided by politicians at a you know 50,000 foot level. So certainly a cause that we feel very, very passionate about. And, and, and I hope you know, we can all do, do our part to just strengthen female reproductive rights as much as we can. No, I appreciate you highlighting that. I did about a year's worth of, a little over a year, year and a half years worth of work trying to expand access globally and using pharmaceutical and med device model business models to do that. I think that notion of a floating clinic has actually been done before in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. So there's there's precedence for it, I believe. I may have the country off, but I think that's right. Because there was a fight similarly to what we're going through now, but this was, I want to say decades ago, potentially. But yeah, I totally agree. It pains me. And I know this the notion of how much we regulate what women can do or can't do. If we just applied the same logic to men, I think most of the folks that are voting against rights would hopefully wake up, right? Like it, it's just, it pains me, you know, it's. Yeah. I think that it's just, it's become this wedge, this political wedge issue Yeah, where each side is, it's just become so polarized and we can't find that middle ground anymore. And our leaders aren't helping us find that middle ground. They're sort of incentivized to drive us further apart because it helps their fundraising or for, for their, for, you know, for voting. And right. it's just, uh, it's terrible because who's paying the price? It's yeah. not, not them. It's the millions of women who now don't have these rights. So I, uh, yeah. I hope we can, <laughs> we can turn the page here and get over this era of, of divisiveness and start to find some real great solutions here. Yeah. I mean, we're all humans at the end of the day. And like, if we just treated everyone like we would want to be treated, I think we would get so much further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so completely. Anyway, completely. So, but uh, well, last question for you, more of a marketing question. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think marketers really need to be, need to keep themselves in check on what I like to call like corporate content, <laughs> corporate marketing, where sometimes we, we just get so caught up in our own echo chambers and in our day-to-day of, of what message do we want to get across? What, what do we want to tell people? And we forget what do the customers want to hear or what is actually relevant to our audience. People these days, users, social media users, they're so good at catching and tuning out advertising. They're so good at scrolling past stuff that it just looks like corporate marketing. And I think marketers need to really think about like marketing is not just about getting your message across. It's actually about captivating people's attention and providing value to the audience. And the best way to provide value to the audience is to make them laugh, make them smile, make them feel something, entertain them, educate them about something, but just continue to ground yourself in the, uh, in the customer and the user and the person who's scrolling. We, we always like to say, will this stop them in their scroll? You know, it's to, to, to ground ourselves in the audience. So I would just encourage and, and challenge marketers to always think about the users and, and not get too caught up in, in what are the messages that we are trying to get out. Got it. Well, Andrew, it's been fun talking to you, learning about your business and what you're up to. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Alan. Appreciate it. Hi, it's Alan again. 
Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.